Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. It's time for another extra dosage episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Hi, I'm Larry Gifford. Where to begin? After we returned from the World Parkinson Congress in Japan, I was jet lagged. My med times and dosages were all screwy. And then dyskinesia took hold. It had only really ever happened to me once before. Yeah, I mean, I sway and jerk a bit here and there, but full-on episode, that's new for me. We were at the dinner table. I started swaying and rocking, and my head's going one way, my shoulders popping the other way, my neck's jerking around, and then repeat and repeat and repeat. About five minutes into the Disconnetic episode, I asked my wife, Rebecca, to record a video so we could share it on social. Hey, it's uh, Larry. (laughs) Uh, uh, I've been kind of moving like this for about five minutes now. Uh, and uh, not quite sure what's going on. I guess I'm peaking or something. Uh, we have jet lag, so my medication time's been off for a while, so I think maybe I sort of double up or something. Um, <clears throat> but I just wanted people to see see this. This is a mild, diskinetic episode. But for me, I mean, this is about as bad as it gets right now. But we, this doesn't happen a lot. But when it does, it's uh, a little uncontrollable. Um, but I know people have it a lot worse than I do, but, uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, it can be disturbing at first. It's certainly not comfortable and it's hard to drink my wine. <laughs> uh, That's been poured for five, six minutes. Yeah. Really he's wanted. Afraid, and he's afraid to pick it up. I offered him a straw. Um, but, uh. <laughs> And, you know, we're just coming back from the World Parkinson's Congress in, in Kyoto, and we had a fabulous time. We met so many great people uh, and uh, saw everybody, you know, on their on times and on their off times. And, uh, you know, so it's, I think it's valuable for people to, to see what this disease can do, you know, because so often we're like, oh, you look so good. Well, if you saw me coming down the hallway like this, you probably wouldn't feel the same way. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're working on it. We're, we've got people now motivated, and uh, we're working towards trying to find a way to address all the different symptoms and reactions to medications. And, you know, we just need your continued support, whether that's through spreading the word, uh, sharing the podcast. Uh, donating money to, to certain charity causes, uh, you're important, you're a catalyst. Uh, we can't do it without you, your support, both financially and socially. And just uh, just remember there's people out here that, 
that are still functional, that are still viable, that are still valuable uh, to different industries. And we just need better medication, better support, and we need to be heard. So we're, talk we're speaking, talking. I hope people start to listen. Bye. The dyskinesia lasted about 45 minutes. Uh, it was scary at first, especially for my son, Henry, uh, who's 10 years old. Uh, but about halfway through, he got over his fear and realized there's a real opportunity for him to ride me like a roller coaster. <laughs> and so he, he climbed onto me and held on tight as I'm rocking back and forth. And really, it was a great moment uh, where we could you know, take advantage of this dyskinesia to entertain him. What, became, what was once scary is now fun. <laughs> and scary for me. It into an amusement park Okay. Uh, we posted the videos on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and, and uh, people were really kind and sharing it and, and, and with their comments. Two days later, I was at a manager's offsite meeting with 18 of my colleagues, and the dyskinesia set in again for about an hour. And then it happened a day later during my exercise class. I was doing this bear crawl, and it was as if the bear was drunk. <laughs> I couldn't tell my feet what to do anymore. Yeah. Uh, it lasted about 30 minutes. And I... I to this point, haven't had another episode, but I'm no dummy. You know, listen, more locked away in there, just dying to make me move the way I don't want to move. Uh, but I'm not an expert in this. Uh, my episodes are really mild. So I wanted to talk to some folks uh, about dyskinesia and, and how they deal with it in their daily lives. So to learn more about dyskinesia, I'm turning to some true experts. These folks have lived and thrived with serious dyskinesia. Say hello to my friend Jim Smearden in Vancouver, Canada, and Becca Miller in Connecticut, USA. Hello. Hey. Hey, now, now Becca, tell people uh, where you are, what you do, and how long you've had Parkinson's. Sure. I'm in New Haven, Connecticut. I work as a psychologist at the Community Mental Health Center. I'm 45. I was diagnosed at age 39, and I've had symptoms really since probably age 29. And when did uh, the dyskinesia start for you? It's only been in the last, um, say, two years. I started cinnamon probably three and a half years ago. I actually um, wrote a a blog for um, the World Parkinson's Congress about taking that first pill, which really felt like the confirmation of having Parkinson's in some different way for me. Um, but the, the dyskinesias have started um, and, and gotten more intense probably in the last year and, um, you know, happening at work. And, and just so happens that they get especially worse at any kind of stressful meeting or presentation or workshop. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, been definitely an interesting challenge to, to deal with. <laughs> now, Jim, when were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed in 2007. Dyskinesia onset was? Dyskinesia came around 2011. I had the DBS surgery in 2014. And uh, no dyskinesia for a year or two after that. And the dyskinesia is really kicking again in the last two to three 
years. All right. So you didn't have them for a couple of years after your DBS, and now, right. they're, now they're back. Right. Exciting. So you've both seen my video. What did you think when you watched it? I thought it was very mild. It was very mild. I know that for sure. But, yeah. but for my friends and family and my coworkers who've not seen a lot of my symptoms, they're mostly internal, that was a shock to them. Was it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were... My, especially my mom and my in-laws are a little freaked out. Oh, well, it didn't freak me out. <laughs> Becca? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely related, and I think that that's, um, I mean, it's so interesting to hear because I've heard recently from friends and family saying, you know, I feel like it's so um, drastic when I'm experiencing it, and I think that I'm finding that the milder, experiences I have are less obvious to my family, but that they're really, um, they make me self-conscious. But then the more, the more obvious, um, dyskinesias are, are, um, yeah, they're, they're getting worse. So, um, but yeah, I, de- I mean, I definitely had like an empathic response immediately. Like, Oh yeah, that, that there's what I am. I, and it's funny because I didn't, I, I found it sort of, I don't know. I mean, seeing your son um, sort of use you as a, a, a use it as a game with yeah. you was really just a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of you know for me it's like oh okay it's it's just part of life it's part of the new life and so sort of easing into that as as part of the new norm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, it's, it, you know, Parkinson's happens to the whole family. That's right. So, so we might as well take advantage of it when we can. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely I try and use it for dancing with my daughter, but I, but then you know, not to like um, Pollyanna it at all. Like it, it gets really frustrating and irritating. And I um, am thinking of a time that you know I was having a lot of dyskinesias. Um, I was at dinner with my with my parents and my daughter. And, um, and my mom made some comment and I was so irritable because I could not stop the dyskinesias that I just snapped at her. And, mm. and um, you know, and I was like, later I felt bad. But I was just like, it gets me really frustrated, I have to say. I don't know. Um, I, I, you know. I hate it. It's the worst. Um, my, the times I remember having dyskinesias the worst was before my DBS surgery, I was introducing Steve Wozniak at a conference as a keynote speaker. Oh, yeah? And I was just very disconnected. It always gets worse or much worse when you have to be on, when you have adrenaline or you have to focus on something. It seems to compound it. I, I felt like it was just terrible. Oh, you didn't think you did a good job of it? I, uh, I did a terrible job in GCC was, yeah. I think he talks about that in his book. <laughs> I'm just kidding you, Jim. Uh, you know, I, I reached out to a, a dyskinesia researcher uh, named Emma, Emma Lane, who's in the UK. She is a PhD, senior lecturer in pharmacology, and she's been studying dyskinesia. And I asked her about the onset of dyskinesia because of stress. And she, mm. her response, and she couldn't join us today, unfortunately, but she, she wrote me a response and she said, yes, although I think more should be done on this, uh, I would be really intrigued to hear from people with Parkinson's about when they feel dyskinesia is worse. I've actually heard 
heard anecdotally that they are worse in the doctor's uh, uh, offices, a kind of white coat syndrome specific to P- PD. Mm. Uh, and in actual fact, I, she did a rodent study examining the environment and its relationship with dyskinesia and stress, but also association of environment with particular behavior. Uh, and she'd be really interested to direct this study if we, in the lab, uh, although she thinks it would be really useful to hear from people with Parkinson's on what their thoughts are on what they should focus on. I think it's fascinating, uh, the white coat theory, because um, one of my issues with only having annual neurologist appointments is that every time I go and see my neurologist, my symptoms disappear. They disappear? I have my my best days with Parkinson's and the days I have to go and see my neurologist is frustrating. Do you have any of that, Rebecca, white coat syndrome? Um, a little bit, but I definitely have the the um, you know experience where the dyskinesias are much, much worse under stress. Um, like I was saying, like important meetings when I'm presenting at workshops, when I'm like feeling more anxious about something. Um, that and, and it's so frustrating because I, I, I can anticipate it'll happen. Um, but on the other hand, I can't sort of not take my meds at the risk of being off instead. So it's sort of trying to balance out. And then I, you know, and then I might, don't tell my neurologist, but I might delay my meds a little bit after the meeting because I'm so dyskinetic. But then all of a sudden it'll be the stress level will go down and I'm off really, really quickly. So it's just trying to balance the, the um, variable of stress in the whole picture. And it's, it gets pretty tricky. Yeah, so you, you said you can anticipate it, but can you, either of you, feel it coming? I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's almost indescribable, which is tougher. Uh, it's uh, horrible for this uh, conversation, because uh, that's what we're trying to do is put uh, words to it, Jim. Yeah, I know. But it's, it's like a, a sensation of more that, uh, what you're doing right now is exactly what I feel is like I can't can't get my feet to move I can't get my thoughts straight like it suddenly like everything slows down and I, I gradually just sort of lose control of directing myself mine is more speeding up oh it's more speeding up yeah okay, I feel like, okay here we go okay it's, it's coming out what about you Becca yeah, yeah, it's sort of interesting. It feels a little bit like um, tingling and electricity, and then I feel my muscles kind of tighten, so my my head will kind of bend towards my shoulder, and and in sort of somewhat of like this tonic way. But then I'll just start kind of grooving it out, and mm-hmm. and it's really um, the interesting part though is that with with speaking, it's like I I almost can't except with the rhythm of the dyskinesias mm. in some kind of way and and it gets um, and the the rhythm of the dyskinesias is not like the normal kind of or for me at least not my normal speech rhythm so it it definitely throws me off is there, um, which it, gets is very there, frustrating in public speaking is there any way you can stop it um, if I'm having a mild dyskinetic episode, I can say uh, I, I do this party trick where you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of dizzy, my head's wobbling, 
Okay, watch this, guys. Okay, and done. And I almost focus on not moving. Forget else. Right. So you close your eyes. You take a deep breath. You, you just sort of be in that space in that moment, but you can't do anything else. Right. I think uh, My- Michael J. Fox did that during an interview where he's like, "I can stop it, but I can't do anything else." Did he? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's me. Have you tried that? Yeah. Back I mean, up? I can. I mean, again, when it's sort of more mild, and I sort of pause and take a deep breath and kind of release, I can stop it for a little bit, but it takes. Lots of concentration and focus, and then as soon as I'm sort of doing something else, they'll come back. It's just sort of, yeah, it's, it, it, it's a strange sort of, like, slightly controllable, but not really uh, without focus and intent. I mean, I'm, I, it's interesting. I haven't really done those experiments, though, and I'm sort of thinking about that. Like, if I do, I, I'm thinking about, like, doing, you know, progressive muscle relaxation techniques mm-hmm. where you, like, clench all your muscles and then try and release them. I'm wondering... You know, just trying to experiment with that. So what about you, Larry? Have you found anything? No, I just like it's so new to me. Like literally I've I've had four disconnected episodes, one six months ago and three right after Japan. And so uh, mm. sort of successively. And so uh, the first one was at dinner, which I would be videotaped. And then I, it happened at work at a, a manager's offsite meeting, which was awkward and weird for everybody. Uh, and <laughs> but everybody handled it fine. Uh, I, yeah. Me probably least of all. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> and then it was. Uh, during the exercise class, which is weird because exercise is actually supposed to help, yeah. but it actually triggered it. Uh, like a half hour into the exercise program, I started uh, sort of uh, di- you know shaking and moving, and I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand up, and it was weird. One of the things I find most maddening about dyskinesia is how random they are. I mean, so I, th- I had a revelation about a year ago when I learned about wear off dyskinesia and I started okay. to I, I use that as a trigger to to take more meds I, you know, I had a quiet time at home I was by, by myself and I had dyskinesia and I said I'm going to try taking more meds and it was it was magical well, that's the thing about dyskinesia is that it can be because of you're peaking because you have too much meds, or it can be uh, the off when yeah. you're off, or it can be when you're it's falling or rising in your system, and, you, and and each one of them you treat differently. And people with Parkinson's can have all of them. Mm-hmm. Lucky us. Yeah, we're we're very fortunate <laughs> that way. Uh, do, do you? Uh, do you think this is uh, harder to witness if you're a relative or a family member or a friend or I mean, if you're I think a stranger? For me, um, it's interesting. My friend who came with me to the WPC was, um, you know, I was talking about being so self-conscious about the dyskinesias. And, and she was like, you know, I just see it as part of you now, like part of how you move. And I don't like I don't really pay that much attention to it. And, and you know, sort of like that slow a- adjustment to, you know, you just kind of take the person as they are and um and so so i think yeah family members and friends i i feel more comfortable and i feel like they and that they are but i think the the staring that kind of happens when you're out in public and there are folks who don't know what's going on that that is uncomfortable and actually i was um 
of connecting with somebody from from WPC about you know making business cards that you could hand out that just basically say like hi. You know, you may see me moving in such and such a way. That's because I have, you know, young onset Parkinson's. It's some kind of card that I can hang, hand out to just give someone some more information and, and also, you know, raise awareness about YOPD. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. That's what I love about being in Japan because they're a non-staring culture. They don't stare for any reason. Right. It's very aggressive for them to stare, so I, I was going to the subway station with my wife, and nobody was staring at me at all. That's amazing. Yeah. I I wish, I, we should have better manners here. We do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you had extreme reactions to your dyskinesia, Becca? Like, like Jim, Jim was introducing Steve Wozniak on stage and, and blew it. Uh, and that was his worst uh, moment, I think, with dyskinesia. <laughs> Do you have um, a worst moment Well, yet? I can tell a story. I can tell one story from WPC where I actually um, took too many meds on my way up in, in, um, to the first uh, day, the first session. Um, and I was uh, co-chair of a, a panel discussion. And so I, you know, with too many meds, it was sort of guaranteed along with the stressfulness of just being up on the stage. I was very, very dyskinetic. Um, so that was, and it was a panel discussion on the non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's. So <laughs> I found that slightly ironic that like the motor symptoms were feeling ignored and decided to make a, a roaring appearance. Um, and that was, that was a challenge. I mean, I, uh, so I was sitting there with, you know, sort of five neurologists and I'm, Swaying and moving away, um, yeah. and and um, yeah. So that I mean, I that that's probably the most standout experience I've had so far. Um, you know, again, it's somewhat new, and folks, all the folks that work here know pretty much um, folks that I work with. So um, there haven't there haven't been. Major ones, but Good. it's sort of it's, it's sort of managing the my own self consciousness about it. I think that's one of the most challenging parts for me right now. Yeah. So, what does it do to you emotionally or yeah, mentally? Yeah, I mean, I think one is the frustration that comes with just not being able to control it, and that I'm I get tired, so I get a little more irritable or frustrated just with what's going on and and you know outside of whatever's happening in the meeting, et cetera, which. It is hard, and then too is I. I think there's fears about looking less competent or less able to to do my job, and and then when it sort of prevents me from speaking in a fluent way, that also leads to worries about that. So I think I think those are those are some of the things that come up for me. This Larry, this all leads to one of my key questions about dyskinesia is. Is there some way we can stop them if we've taken too many meds? Like, for example, if we if we eat protein, uh, if we have a protein-laden meal before taking our meds, then they work as well. Can we use protein strategically and well, it's funny you should ask that question because uh, I knew you were going to ask that question, so I asked our resident expert, Emma, uh, what uh, she thought of that. 
the jury seems to be out uh, on the role of dietary protein in motor fluctuations, which includes on and off and dyskinesia. There's no explicit study using supplemental protein that she's come across, and that's not to say that it hasn't been done. Uh, while there's a clearer role for dietary protein and drug uh, efficacy, its role in motor fluctuations and dyskinesia is less clear. Uh, while high-protein diets limit the uptake of L-DOPA into the brain and hinder its eff- efficacy, there clearly needs to be careful adjustments of the L-DOPA dose on such a diet to ensure that L-DOPA side effects can be managed. If the L-DOPA starts working more effectively and patients also lose weight on those diets, both of which could increase the risk of dyskinesia, the L-DOPA dose might need to be adjusted down mm-hmm. in recognition of both those mm-hmm. things. So adjusting the dose down would then reduce the dyskinesia risk. So quite a complex picture, really, and by no means clear in the literature. Yeah, but I'm not talking about high-protein diet. I'm talking about carrying a protein bar in my, in my car so I can make it home driving. So, so if uh, any researchers would like to study Jim eating a protein bar, he's open to that. <laughs> No, it's a, I, I mean that makes sense, Jim. In, in some way, like a, sort of an antidote to the right. to the yeah. too high levels of dopamine. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, twelve, 12 years in this disease, and just learning more and more about Oh, I think we all are. I think we all are. Hey, listen, I really appreciate uh, your time uh, talking about dyskinesia. I'm sure there's a lot more to discuss, uh, but uh, our time uh, here is done. So, uh, Becca, thank you for joining us. Uh, Jim, thank you for joining us. And Emma, thanks for writing your responses to our crazy questions. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, Larry. Thanks, Larry. No doubt dyskinesia will be among the topics discussed at the Michael J. Fox Foundation series of live events across the United States called Parkinson's IQ Plus U, brought to you in part by Acadia Pharmaceuticals. They are free, day-long, live events. I think the thing that's the most striking to me is how much hunger there is for information. There are things available that I didn't know. And I'm finding out already today that they're available, and I'm going to make use of them. The more open you are and the more you talk to people, the less scary it is. It actually was more scary not talking to anybody. I surely thought that we would leave around 12 o'clock. And it's been so informative and so interesting that I'm happy that we can. I wish this was around when my mom was first diagnosed. Her coming out about Parkinson's, the treatment she was given from the start, it would have been very different and it would have been more informative to us as a family. We'll be seeing friends and folks who have been connected, but most importantly, we're really going to be meeting folks who've never come out. And I've seen already today that those are the types of folks who get here and they're amazed at the amount of information that's available. During the more scientific session, I have a lot of little buzzwords that I want to go deeper with and ask my doctor. He's going to know I've been here because I've got all these new questions. This is exciting on a number of levels. Most relevant to me is when it kicks off in Atlanta, then goes to Anaheim, and then the Phoenix and beyond. I'll be there on stage as your host, MC, and moderator. For some details on what Parkinson's IQ plus U is all about, let's chat with Sohini Chowdhury, the deputy CEO of the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Hi, Sohini. Hi, Larry. Hey, what exactly is Parkinson's IQ plus U? 
Parkinson's IQ Plus U is this new national event, um, series of events, actually, that the Michael J. Fox Foundation will be launching later this year. And the goal really is to create a forum where we can share information with Parkinson's patients, family members, friends, all with the goal of empowering people with Parkinson's and their care partners so that they can optimally, optimally manage their disease and learn more about participating in research. Why is this forum so important to the Michael J. Fox Foundation? Um, I think one of the things that we've really realized is that we really can benefit from having an engaged, catalyzed um, community that understands where we are with research and what is needed to take that research to to the next stage, to eventually get it into patients' hands. And the best way to do that is to provide information, information about what's going on in research, but also to provide information about how to optimally um, think about managing your Parkinson's here and now as we wait for new therapies to get into patients' hands. And so these um, series of events are really designed around this concept of giving um, information, valuable information to Parkinson's patients and those that care about Parkinson's so that they can really optimize the way that they're thinking about managing the disease currently, but also that they're aware of what may be changing down the road as we hopefully get new treatments into patients' hands. Yeah, already I'm getting texts and tweets from folks like, hey, can you come to North Carolina? How about Denver? What about Canada? Uh, What's the itinerary look like now? Um, So we actually are going to be doing a series of seven and eight events across 2019 and 2020. And currently, we have three events already confirmed. Um, We'll be in Atlanta, Georgia on September 14th, um, Southern California, Anaheim, California on December 14th, and early next year on January 11th, we're going to be in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, As we begin to confirm dates for more events, we're going to be listing it on our website. And the best way for individuals to find out where those events will be and when they'll take place is to go to michaeljfox.org forward slash PDIQ. And on that page, not only will we have information about where we'll be and when we will be there, we will also have um, the link to register. And um, registration is free. And when you come to our events, you'll also get a free complimentary breakfast and lunch, which always makes things easier, I think, when you have a lot to listen to and um, digest from a content perspective. Oh, now I really want to go. I like free food. (laughs) Now, uh, let's say I'm me. I'm a guy. I'm in my 40s with a wife and a kid, a career, and Parkinson's. But instead of Vancouver, Canada, I'm living in Southern California, which is where I used to live. What should I expect if I show up on this day for Parkinson's IQ Plus U? We will be having um, a series of different things that we hope will be very compelling to Parkinson's patients and their families and friends. The first is that these, ali- these live events are going to feature some interactive panels and sessions, including um, two which I think will be very interesting for um, patients and, and, and their care partners. One is If I Knew Then, What I Know Now, mm-hmm. which, is where it, which is a panel in which a patient and a care partner will share their personal strategies for navigating the disease from diagnosis onward. And the second um, session that I think will be really interesting is um, a session called Seeing a Movement Disorder Specialist. And this is where a clinician will actually walk through a live demonstration of what a typical appointment is like with a movement disorder specialist, a neurologist who has been specially trained to treat Parkinson's. And we really think that a lot of the insights and information on what to expect and how to make the most of a doctor's appointment will be very compelling for for patients and, and care partners. In addition to the live event programming, these sessions, we're also going to be hosting a, um, an expo, a Parkinson's Partner Expo, um, which is designed to connect families with local resources that exist in the community, resources such as physical and speech therapists, clinical trial teams, 
and representatives from other um, Parkinson's organizations. And so the idea is, while you may get a lot of information and content during the event that day, you'll also make connections with resources in the community that you can utilize going forward after the event is over. I think that's really important because you, you want to get the most out of that day. It's going to be, you know, doors open at 8, the presentation starts at 9, it goes till 3. It's a, you know, six hours is a long time, but there's a ton of information. And so it's, it's good that you can go around and talk to people in the, the expo. I think that's going to be really, really great opportunity for people to sort of have that one-on-one communication. Absolutely. That's what our hope is. And we also hope it's going to allow people to meet others in the community and forge some lasting ties. Um, Because, you know, there's nothing. um, Michael always said, you know, when you meet one Parkinson's patient, you've met one Parkinson's patient. But there's a lot of value in being able to to forge a network of of support with others that may be going through things, even if it's not the exact same journey as as one is experiencing. And so we're, we're hopeful that, you know, there'll be a lot of information and ties that can be brokered on a number of different levels. Are these resources that are going to be presented at this event going to be available online afterwards for people who may be living in parts of the U.S. that you can't get to or even outside of the United States? Absolutely. We do have a dedicated website page on our website that is I'm going to host a lot of these resources. It's also the page where individuals can register and find out where these events will take place. And and that, um, that uh, link actually is on our website. It's at Michael fox.org slash uh, forward slash pdiq and if individuals go there they'll see all of those resources that all that will be made available okay now the big question are folks going to be able to come out and meet you at these events Yes, um, I will be attending some of these events. Our CEO will be attending some of these events, and um, quite a few members of our staff will. And it's an amazing opportunity for us to also go into the community and and meet people and um, hear their stories because, you know, at the end of the day, we exist to serve the Parkinson's community, and it's it's incredibly powerful to be able to to speak with people and hear hear their stories and bring that back to the office. It's a great way, a great tangible way to remember why we're doing what we're doing day in and day out. Well, thanks for all that you do every day, and I look forward to seeing you on the road. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you as well, Larry. Also, before we go, I want to put in a plug for a couple of events that I'll be at in the coming months. On Saturday, August 17th, Port Coquitlam, British Columbia, joined Team Fox for a ride through the breathtaking scenery of the Fraser Valley with green fields in the foreground and snow-capped mountains in the distance. You have four options to choose from, 96 kilometers, which is like 60 miles, 64 kilometers, 40 kilometers, or a 15-kilometer ride. It's like 10 miles. 100% of the proceeds go directly to high-impact programs to speed better treatments and a cure for Parkinson's disease. If you're interested in joining this bike ride, we want you to be there. I'll be there. Say hello. Uh, go to uh, tourdefox.michaeljfox.org slash Pacific Northwest. I'll put the link in the show notes. On August 24th, I'll be in Pickerington, Ohio at the inaugural Trimmer Trot. My nephew, Anthony, and his family are working with Team Fox on this family-friendly 5K. You can join us or donate to the cause. I'll put links on the show notes for that as well. On September 8th, I am the MC and a walker in the Parkinson Superwalk in Vancouver at Stanley Park, which is Powered by my friends at the Parkinson Society of British Columbia, I'll be sure to link to Team Gifford if you want to donate. Then Saturday, September 14th, I will see you in Atlanta, Georgia for the first Parkinson's IQ Plus U. And I should also note, September 4th, we're launching Season 2 of this podcast, When Life Gives You Parkinson's. You want a preview? All right, let's roll it. 
Hi, my name is Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. The way I know how to help is to share my story. Well, that's almost like your currency in this situation, isn't it? Yeah, and, and my story is not necessarily interesting to everybody, but uh, they, they were interested for a moment long enough that we were inspired to do the podcast, and now we can tell other people's stories as well, which is <laughs> right. great. I was walking down the stairs with my then eight-month-old son, his name is Mason, and we fell down the stairs. Uh, what? Yeah, the two, the two of us fell down an entire flight of stairs. Oh, American Ninja Warrior. When American Ninja Warrior came on TV and she was watching it, she started climbing on furniture and climbing on doors. And she's like, Dad, you should try. You should get on. You should try out. Honey, I can't do it because I have Parkinson's. Hey, Jimmy. You got the heart of a warrior. Now you're going to show the world. Jimmy Joy defying the odds. Yeah. Hello? David, how are you feeling right now? <laughs> Zero to ten. Zero being the worst. Sure. I'm about to say about three. You are just a few weeks away from DBS surgery. I'm feeling okay about it. I'm ready for it, I think. I might just watch in a coffee shop. Just speak oh. to Larry on the podcast. Hi. How have you talked to your kids about this? Well, they're quite young, really, so we're kind of just explaining that Daddy's getting magic medicine. You're weak for the first five hours of surgery on the brain. They drill holes into your brain. What did you hear when they drilled a hole in your brain? You hear everything. It's, it's especially loud because it's echoing your ear bones and whatnot. So... You're drilling, you smell burning, it's it's real. It was the clearest memory I think I ever have of anything was having having a drill go into your head. You can feel a little drip of something going down the side of your head and coming off your neck and you're wondering, is that brain fluid or blood? Do I need that? I'd rather have a tumor in my brain than Parkinson's. Uh, so so how long after the diagnosis did you say, yeah, you know what, let me uh, enter the Amazing Race Canada? <laughs> well, that was entirely my wife's idea. That was her doing. And you are the first winners of the Amazing Race Canada. You know, I just had no idea what Parkinson's was going to do to me along this race. Uh, I learned that um, you sometimes need your young boy to get you through a tough day. Parkinson's is a real bitch of an illness, but I take it all in stride. I love the fact that when we get together, we have a secret handshake. I know that I get brain fades. I warn the audience when I'm doing my stand-up that I might have a brain fade and forget where I'm at and joke telling, but just bear with me because it's just it's all part of the Parkinson. When that happens to you, what does that feel like? I, you get frustrated that you can't believe that with all the rehearsal and the times you've told the jokes over and over again, you forgot it, you forget what your routine is. And it's important for me to 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 laugh about Parkinson's because then I'm owning it. You know, it dominates so much of my life. But this is an opportunity for me to say. I'm in charge, mate. I'm the, I'm the boss in this situation, and I'm going to show you that I'm laughing at you, you know? I'm Joy Milne. Um, my husband 
when he was 45, was diagnosed with Parkinson's, but I, in actual fact, smelt a change in his odour 12 years before that. You can smell me. Ah, uh-huh, no, I can't. I'm no. not allowed to in the protocols. Oh, really? No, I'm not allowed to. Really? Okay, I, I, I can't. <laughs> can you smell me, though? Yeah, I can, but, yeah, I'm not allowed to tell you what it, how bad or good it is. I, it's a part of the protocols that we don't go... That. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I'll just say I smell like cherries. <laughs> and uh, no, you don't. <laughs> I'm Cheryl Haig. And I'm Tim Haig. I'm Rebecca Gifford. And I'm Larry Gifford. As you put together your care team and your, your, your support system, you don't hear a lot about faith. You don't hear people talk about spirituality. How much of a role does that play in your life? Well, I don't get asked that very often, but it, it plays a huge part in our life. And since you've asked, I'll be 100% honest. I'm a follower of Christ, and it informs everything that I believe. Faith is 100%, I would say, how we get through this. It's everything. Can I just say that I really love that you asked that question, and it's something that we want to address more in the podcast. My dad was, was a deeply spiritual person. I am the greatest. Parkinson saved his life. Um, he had always said, Parkinson's could be, could be a way for me to realize that I'm not the greatest, God is the greatest. He really didn't feel that his purpose in life wasn't to be a heavyweight champion. He definitely felt his purpose in life was to be able to change, create change, massive change on a grand scale and to make this world a better place. Yeah, he certainly did that. My, uh, my, my father died in, uh, 2003. Uh, and I, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I, I can still hear his voice though. And I still ask him questions. Sure. Do you still talk yeah, to your dad? I do every day. Um, he comes in my dreams. Um, we have conversations and I miss him so much. It's still a huge loss. From Curious Cast, this is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. If you'd like to help spread the word, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free to this podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, everywhere you get streaming audio, we're there. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. And a real simple way to spread the word and raise awareness for Parkinson's disease is to engage us on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just look up at Parkinson's Pod or email Parkinson's Pod at CuriousCast.ca. Again, be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to all of our guests. Special thanks to Sohini Chowdhury, Rebecca Gifford, Henry Gifford, Jim Smearden, Becca Miller, and Emma Lane. When Life Gives You Parkinson's is written and hosted by me, Larry Gifford. Dila Velasquez is our story producer and sound design by Rob Johnston. Keep positive, keep exercising, keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.